0: turning God's word to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and then in the Heidelberg Catechism to the section dealing with prayer. As I mentioned, we come to the fourth petition. Give us this day our daily bread and the prayer Christ taught us. I'd like to read Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's certainly a providential and fitting matter to consider tonight, in the week in which we celebrated, or I guess last week, Thanksgiving Day. Here the Lord reminds his people not to forget him in the midst of their bounty. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Let me give our attention to the word of the Lord. Moses preaches this to God's people on the banks of the Jordan River, as it were, preparing them to enter the promised land. And he says, Every commandment which I command you to today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes that I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, And when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish this covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. We turn to the Church's Confession of that Word, page 256 in the Forms and Prayers book. Forms and Prayers book, page 256. And now question 125 there asks, what does the fourth petition mean? Give us this day our daily bread means provide for all our physical needs so we may recognize that you are the only source of everything good, and that neither our care and work nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. Therefore, may we withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. Let's bow before our Lord and ask him to visit us tonight in his word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace upon us to teach us to pray and to feed us with your word. We thank you for gathering us tonight. We thank you, Lord, that you visit us in your word and by your spirit, and we pray that you would. We pray, Lord, for your church, that we would hunger together for your word, that your people be built up by your word. We pray, Lord, for congregations that are still facing the losses of members suffered in days of COVID, and we Pray, Father, that you might restore those who maybe have wandered from the fold or those who have substituted streaming video from gathering with saints. And we pray, Lord, that you would assemble your people for your word week by week and that you would nourish them and that you protect the pulpit in every place and that you'd give to your saints the blessing of hearing your word. Grant us, Lord, to be not just hearers but doers of your word to take to heart, to apply to our lives, to meditate upon. We thank you, O Lord, that you continue to work upon us, and we confess we need you, and we need to hear your voice. And now we ask, Father, that this evening you would help us to learn to pray for daily bread and all that that means. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray that you would teach us to pray. Amen. Well, Congregation of Christ, we come to a wonderful petition here, the fourth petition. And as we come to it, let me ask you, what's your idea of a happy life, a blessed life? What does it mean to to be happy or to be blessed by the Lord? I think if we search within ourselves, we might be surprised to discover that we often define happiness in terms of not feeling needy, the absence of feeling needy. We don't like to feel needy, we like to have things under our control. We like to feel that we can manage, and maybe sometimes people ask us how we're doing, and we say, fine, we're good, unless there's something in our lives that we're, we're not comfortable with, something that we can't manage, something that seems to be beyond us, then we might say something different. But how does God define happiness? What is real blessedness? Is it the absence of feeling needy? Maybe we think sometimes that, that God views our lives the way we sometimes view church plants. We're going to get you started. We're going to support you for a while, but then we hope that you'll be self-sustaining and independent. But according to Deuteronomy 8, if we come to the point of feeling self-sustaining and independent, then we arouse God's anger. Actually, what glorifies God is the opposite. To confess need. It's not only realistic, because we are needy, we're creatures, but it's, it's also glorifying to God to confess it. It's enriching to our lives. That it's actually the only safe place we can be is in that position of feeling needy. And so Jesus does a great service to his church by teaching his church to pray, give us this day our daily bread, and teaching us to pray that daily. Christ is instructing us in a life of neediness, a life of dependence, a life of bringing it before our Father. And learning to acknowledge that and rejoice before our God in bringing our need before him, that's not the obstacle to our happiness, but it's actually the path of our happiness, to know our need. And so as we hear the fourth petition, we should ask, what is my goal in praying for daily bread? Am I praying to be set free from my neediness? Because then I'm praying for something that can never be. Instead, in praying for daily bread, I'm praying God will supply my need, to help me to know my need, and in receiving from his hand, he'll help me to acknowledge it's all come from him and it's to be used for him. So, the blessed life, the happy life, is not one of not being needy, but of knowing we're needy and bringing it before God. Let's consider that tonight. As we look, first of all, at the completeness of God's care for us, the completeness of his care, and then secondly, at the message of the manna, and thirdly, at the peril of prosperity. Those are our three points this evening. First of all, the completeness of his care. It is a staggering move, isn't it, to pray in those first three petitions for the hallowing of God's name and the coming of his kingdom and the doing of God's will, and now to come to praying for daily bread. think like I mentioned before, that, that that chasm, or what seems to be such a great leap, Puzzled early church fathers such that some of them insisted it was a prayer actually for the bread of the word or the bread of the Lord's Supper, but God couldn't possibly be talking about our physical bread. It should thrill our hearts, though, that that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. To think that the God of eternity who holds the whirling worlds and the brilliant stars in his hand, who who owns the myriad of angels and is worshipped above and who has plans for the nations on earth, actually cares about my sandwich tomorrow at lunch, is staggering. He actually cares about my car starting tomorrow morning. He cares about the new jacket I'm going to get for Christmas. He cares about our little lives Here's about our bread. He made our souls, but he also formed our bodies, and he sent his son to die for both. And so the resurrection of Christ's body puts to death the Gnostic idea that material matter is unimportant to God or is inherently evil. It reminds us that God made the material world, including our bodies. Bread is code word for the necessities of life, right? Every culture has its bread, whether it's the tortilla or it's the white bread we know. Every culture has their bread, and under the word bread then is subsumed all the necessities of this life. As Martin Luther reminds us, it means food, health, good weather, house, clothes, wife, children, government, peace, And I read somewhere that Martin Luther suggested that the civil rulers of his day would have done better to put on their coat of arms, not lions, but loaves, to remind themselves that their first priority was the welfare of their people, their bread. We may pray for the employees we need for our business. We may pray for college tuition. We may pray for mental strength to do our schoolwork. God cares about all the needs of our lives. People live in fear of water sources being polluted and nuclear power plants poisoning the environment and crop failure and economy under inflation, all these things. And we'd be wrong to think those are the worldly concerns and we come here to church to deal with a God who only cares about the forgiveness of our sins. Because actually, before we pray for forgiveness of sins, Christ says, go ahead and pray for your bread. Forgiveness of sins comes next. And there aren't needs that we have that are outside the scope of God's care. Now, Christ teaches us that we ought not to deify the body, nor should we despise the body. We should not worship the body, as our culture does, and, and make health and beauty this, this thing and in it itself, but neither should we despise the body and think that it's wrong for children to laugh while they jump up and down. No, bodies are given by God to be enjoyed, and we are to be stewards of them. And food and drink can be enjoyed as well. These are blessings from our Father above. In Deuteronomy 8, God reminds his people his comprehensive care upon their wilderness journey. Verse 2, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble and test you to know what was in your heart. Verse 3, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know. And he says that your garments did not wear out. Your feet, verse 4, did not swell. Moses is saying, do you remember how God led you and fed you and cared for your sore toes? And you can't just say, well, that's the Old Testament where God used material matter to teach his people spiritual lessons. No, you turn to the New Testament and the greater than Moses in the Sermon on the Mount is proclaiming what? He's proclaiming that, that your father who makes the flowers and feeds the birds that your father cares For your every need. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Our bodies need clothing. God made them. He knows that. Our our stomachs need food. God made them. He, He knows that. Jesus says, Run to your Father then for all that you need. Your God cares for you. The gods of the world don't care. Hinduism is content to let people starve to death. Materialism is content to let its worshipers indulge to death. But our Father loves his children. He cares for them. And it's a care that's totally undeserved. And so when Jesus says, when you ask your Father, give us this day, that's what you're asking. He would give you as a gift. As a gift. Because you don't deserve anything. We've betrayed our God. God owes us no debt. We can't go to him the way we might go to an employer and say, I've served you, now pay up. No, God owes us nothing. We are, even if we've done everything required of us, we are unprofitable servants. We've only done our duty if we served you with the strength you provided, if we loved you, it's the love you gave to us. If we sang your praises it's with the voice that you gave us. And in fact, not only have we not merited God's bread, we have demerited it, as the curses of the covenant make clear in the Old Testament. And God warned his people that if you forsake me, then the harvest will fail, and the rain will stop, and the ground will harden, and your enemies will come and carry away your children, and someone else will take over your house. And God's saying that's that's the curse of the covenant. That's what you deserve. When God brings the people out of Egypt, it's not because they're a better people. They deserve that their firstborn be killed, just like the Egyptian firstborn. But what distinguished God's people was the blood on the doorpost, the blood of atonement. And so, God's comprehensive care for us includes the blood that bought our bread. We are beggars. We ask not for daily bread in exchange for our work, but we pray the prayer Jesus gives us because Jesus is going to the cross as he teaches the Lord's Prayer to pay for the needs of our bodies. Christ was tempted to the wilderness and was hungry so we could be fed. He, he was on the cross thirsty so that we could have a drink. He was naked so we could be clothed. We don't deserve even physical blessings. We don't deserve them. The curse is to lose everything. But instead, Jesus says, I've died for your soul, and I've died for your body, and I've died so that my God and Father is your God and Father, and you may ask of him everything you need, and you may have comfort in him. That he's the God who cares for you. He's the God who cares for you. What a tender God. What a gracious God to hear our prayers. Phil Bracken in his excellent little book on the Lord's Prayer <clears throat> records a story of, told by the preacher Harry Ironside who lived 1876 to 1951. But he writes that the story concerned, or quote, I'll quote, here for a bit. It concerned a pious old Scotsman traveling to worship in Aberdeen. Along the way, the old man met a young seminary student. When the two men sat down for lunch, the old man suggested that they each pray to ask God for what they needed. The young man was somewhat embarrassed by this suggestion, but he allowed his elder to pray. The old man had three requests. First, as he was hard of hearing, he asked God for a seat near the front of the church when they arrived. Second, he reminded the Lord that he was badly in need of new shoes, yet was unable to pay for them. Finally, he asked for a bed to sleep in that night. The old man not only prayed for these things, but thanked God in advance for providing them. The seminary student was so appalled by his impertinence of making such specific requests that he determined to find out what became of the old man's prayers. The men arrived late to the meeting, and there was not a seat to be found. The old man stood at the back of the church with his hand cupped to his ear, straining to listen. While the student thought to himself, we will see now what becomes of such prayers. Just that a young lady in the front row happened to notice the old man and called for an usher. Sir, she said... My father asked me to save this seat for him, saying that if he should be late, I should offer it to someone else. Evidently, he has been detained. Will you please go and offer it to that old man who has his hand to his ear and is standing just inside the door? Within moments, the old man's first request was granted. Before long, it came time to pray. When the old man knelt to say his prayers, the young woman noticed that his shoes were worn completely through. Now the woman's father happened to be a cobbler. So immediately after the service, she asked the man if she could take him to her father's shop and give him a pair of shoes, which she proceeded to do. When they were standing in the shop, the young woman inquired where the old man was spending the night. He answered that God had not yet yet shown him the room. Well, she said, I think we have the room for you. The Reverend Dr. So-and-so was to use our guest room tonight, but he has telegraphed to say that he will not be coming. Will you use it? The next day, when the seminary student inquired how the old man had made out, he learned that all three of his prayers had been answered. He also learned that when God's children pray for daily bread, God grants them the simple necessities of life. Just a little story. Just a little reminder that God lets us pray for real needs, and he is glad to hear us. Parents love to provide for their children. They don't want their children just to ask in generalities, but they, they are all the more moved at the specific need their children have, children have, and how much more the Father in heaven. He provides comprehensive care. But then secondly, this evening, would you consider with me the message of the manna, the message of the manna? In Deuteronomy 8, Moses tells God's people that God fed them with manna to test them, to try them, and... Therefore, to teach them, verse 3, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. When God provided manna, the bread that was found on the desert floor in the morning, what Psalm 78 calls the bread of heaven and the food of angels, It was not only a miracle to provide for their bodily needs. It was clearly that, but it was more than that. It was a teaching tool of God. Normally, you see, bread comes from grain, and grain comes from a field, and a field is sown, planted by a man, harvested by men. And in the midst of all these secondary causes, we sometimes lose sight of the connection between God and bread. But in this case, God just pours out bread from heaven. So his people might draw a straight line from the hand of God to their lives. In the wilderness, they have nothing. They would starve to death, but for God opening his hand and feeding them. Today, we're not called to provide or, excuse me, to pray for daily uh, manna, right? If we we refuse to go to work and pray instead for manna, God would say, no, you got this wrong. You need to pray for bread, and that requires work work, get a job, but we are still to trace the paycheck and whatever God gives through our work to the hand of God. But there's another lesson of the manna here. Notice that it was one day at a time, right? God poured out manna, but it was day by day living. You couldn't store up manna. God didn't pour out a month's worth and you put on your cupboards. If you kept manna overnight, except for the Sabbath day, it would rot and spoil So every day they had to eat from God's hand. And God was teaching us people a life of dependence. We will starve tomorrow unless God feeds us again. We live from God's hand day by day. One of our troubles, brothers and sisters, with this fourth petition is that it's difficult for us to pray for daily bread when we've maybe got enough in the freezer for a month. Grocery stores are stocked with endless varieties cupboards are full, we have more trouble deciding what to eat and more trouble trying not to eat all that we have than we do finding what to eat. But we ought never to let that abundance negate the reality that we live from God's hand day by day. We don't have one crumb of food or one drop of water unless the Lord gives, right? Unless the Lord builds the house. We can't sustain our lives, we can 't give sunshine or rain we can 't find strength within ourselves to labor. we live moment by moment from the hand of God but there 's a third lesson to the manna when God says that he used this manna so people his people would know that we don 't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from his mouth. Not only can we not get the physical sustenance our bodies need, but even upon having bread in our hands we cannot make that bread a blessing to our lives. Even bread without God's blessing is death. Right? See that? You can have all kinds of food, but people in the hospital still die. You have all kinds of food, but be so nauseous we can't eat. And that's why the Catechism says very wisely, doesn't it, that neither our care And work nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. You believe that tonight? That all your work and all your worry and all God's gifts will do you nothing unless God blesses them. Man does not live by bread alone, he lives by the blessing, the voice, the word of the great blesser, God Himself. And so prayer is essential for the Christian here, right? It's a sign of humility, and it's the maintenance of that humility in which we come before God and say, "My cupboards may be full, but it means nothing, God, if you won't bless it to me. I may have the best job in the world, I may feel like the strongest man on earth, but it does nothing unless you will bless me." And see, our problem is not in terms of our prayerlessness at times. We think sometimes we don't pray because you know we're busy. We don't pray because we haven't read enough books on prayer. We don't pray because we're not disciplined enough. The reality is we don't pray because we don't believe we need it. We don't believe we need him. That's the real issue, isn't it? Humility is the absolute necessity for prayer, feeling dependent upon God. And God, by the man who was training his people to dependence. And Christ, by this fourth petition, is training us to dependence. This is how you can grow in your dependence. Pray every single day for bread. Never think you're going to make it this day on your own. But then there's one more lesson to the man, And it's this, that God gives just what we need. Right? God gives his people in the wilderness Not a banquet of every delicacy, not an extravagance, but he gives them the daily necessity. And likewise, Jesus tells us to ask for daily bread. You see, the first three petitions set everything in context, right? Because God's great name is premier and then God's kingdom and God's will. And now when you ask for bread, there's not actually a great leap, There's not actually a great chasm because now after looking up and saying, Lord, it's all about you, now we say, Lord, give me what I need to glorify you. Feed me so that I can serve you. Fill my stomach so I can promote your name and your cause. All that God gives us is for his purpose. And so we're to ask what we need to fulfill our assignment. That's what we're to ask for. Right? If we're going to pray in faith, then Jesus says you have to pray for what you're commanded to pray for. If you pray for things you're not commanded to pray for, how could you have faith? You can't have confidence. God wants to hear that. You can only have confidence in praying if you're asking for what God told you to ask for. So if you ask God that he make you a millionaire and give you a yacht and a mansion, and well, God hasn't commanded that. God grant me what I need to fulfill my calling. You may have confidence God will do that. God will give you what you need. And then you may have peace and knowing that what God has given me today is all I need to fulfill my calling. So that's the message in the manna. But then finally tonight, let's look at the peril of prosperity. The peril of prosperity. The Catechism reminds us finally that the goal of praying the fifth petition, fourth petition... Is therefore that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. There's always lurking the danger of trusting in the gift and in ourselves and forgetting God. And that is actually the burden of the whole second half of Deuteronomy 8, isn't it? It's a warning that as God brings you into this land of milk and honey, and all these riches, that your heart will be lifted up you'll say, by my strength, I've done it. Whenever we read that, we probably think about our own American culture, don't we? At least we should, shouldn't we? When we consider the wealth of the land in which we live, great prosperity. We maybe become blind to it at times. I heard a pastor, conference speaker whom you would, most of you probably know, saying that when he was at a conference once where he was speaking, a couple men who were attending the conference from Hungary, they during a, a break in the conference were taken to a grocery store, local grocery store, and as they came through the front doors of the grocery store, they stopped and began weeping, weeping at the extravagance and the wealth of what fills our stores. We need to keep reminding ourselves that there's a wealth and abundance in this land that is unbeknownst to most of the world, to most of history. And we stand in a dangerous place with a culture that is so full of itself so proud has decided to write God right out of world history and science and everything else has determined that this universe runs itself and we don't need any place for God and then suddenly maybe during COVID we run out of supplies or we begin to worry about inflation and shipping and all these things and what will happen? It's good for us to be reminded sometimes, isn't it, that this world is not self-sustaining. The third century Cyprian, however, reminds us that it's not just the wealth of our day that's dangerous. Already back in the third century, he wrote, their property held them in chains, chains which shackled their courage and choked their faith and hampered their judgment and throttled their souls. They think of themselves as owners, whereas it is the Rather, they who are owned, enslaved, as as they are to their own property. They are not masters of their money, but it's slaves. It's been the case, hasn't it, throughout the ages, that many have been misled by prosperity. The wise prayer of Proverbs 30 is the prayer, give me neither wealth nor poverty, right? I don't want to deny you in either way. One writer says there are few Christians who handle wealth well, just as there are few Christians who handle poverty well. But God would train us in this. And he, as a father whose his children, is giving this warning in Deuteronomy 8. And he, as a father whose his children, is giving us the fourth petition to help us to learn dependence. It's not that in having great prosperity we need to pray less, but it's in having great prosperity we need to pray the fourth petition all the more. This is, this is the safeguard God gives us. In the midst of all this wealth, pray the prayer or you'll die. Bow your head and say, God, it didn't come from me. It won't do me any good without your blessing. God, bless this, please, to us. The present losses of our economy with the inflation can be more than compensated by the learning to pray the fourth petition. It is a mercy of God to teach his people their neediness. rather than to let us die the death of the self-reliant, we know how easily we fall into pride, self-sufficiency. We know how refreshing it is in the midst of genuine, genuinely felt need to pray, to believe that no one but God can help me. The fourth petition, it's not just one more summons to the maid to bring us another cookie. The fourth petition is a prayer of conflict. It's a, it's a petition in the battle that God would keep us humble. Lord, help me to recognize as you bless my life that it has all come from you. It all is owing to you. It's all for your glory and without your blessing, I have nothing. Self reliance shrivels our hearts, but God reliance opens our souls. God grant me what I need that I may serve you. And then we also find our appetites rightly curbed as Jesus puts this modest prayer in our mouths. We don't bring prayers before him for possessions that are bigger and better and faster and nicer to satisfy our every craving and materialistic lust. But as we come before God, we say, Lord, teach me to long for what I need to glorify you. Because that's my happiness. You, Lord. All these things, all this stuff, I can cram it into my soul all day long and I'm not an ounce happier. But to know you, Father... To rely upon you, to delight in you, to give thanks to you, that's happiness. To know my need and confess it before the Father who cares for me, that's happiness. Are you happily dependent tonight? You know you're dependent and you're happy to be dependent. Or have you been running the rat race trying to get out of the place of dependence? That's a lost cause. And it's not a happy place. Bow your head before your father. Tell him you need everything from him. Tell him you want to serve him. Tell him you want to be content in him. And rejoice. Rejoice in his great care for you, his child. Amen. Let's pray. Our father in heaven, we acknowledge that you are good. You are the giver of every good and perfect gift. We taste and see that you are good. Father, forgive our discontent, forgive our prayerlessness that has ignored our need and your glory. We pray that you would help us to learn to pray again the prayer Jesus taught us. We thank you, Lord, that you do train us to bring before you our doctor appointments and our employment and our school studies and our sicknesses and our families and our children and grandchildren and our brothers and sisters throughout the world that you teach us, Lord, to rely on you. and pray you might continue to do that all the more. Convict us, O Lord, where we have grown in pride rather than in humility. And may we take to heart the warnings of your word as we learn the joy of depending upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Amen.